Okay, well, let's take our Bibles now and turn to Matthew and chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. And we'll begin reading in verse number 14 for our text here today. We'll do a little bit of review as we get into it. Since it's been a couple of weeks since we were in the Gospel of Matthew, that's our series. And uh, we've entitled it, Jesus is King. Uh, not that he's going to be king, he is king. Um, and so that has been a delight to emphasize along the way. And so this is sermon number 31 that we're coming into here out of the Gospel of Matthew. And let's read now verse number 14. We'll read through verse 26. Lord God says here, Then came to him the disciples of John, so that would be in reference to John the Baptist, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? They wanted to understand that. Why are you not fasting and we are? Verse 15, and Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come. When the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. He further explains in verse 16. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment. And the rent is made worse. Now, my mom didn't read that verse because I had a lot of jeans that were patched up. How about you? Yep. Talk about that here in just a moment. It's no slight to my mom. She watches these services, so I've got I've to be careful about what I say here. All right. Another illustration, moving on, verse 17, Jesus gives to reiterate the same truth. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles and both are preserved. You must say, I, I am not following this. Just hang on. Just hang on. We'll, we'll get to that. All right, so... The account goes on, and I, I would imagine we'd have enough to consider just in those verses. But you see, it says, while he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshiped him, saying, my daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. Now, friend, listen, that's faith. And Jesus arose and followed him. I like how Mark says it in his gospel. And Jesus went with him. He didn't leave the man alone. Jesus went with him and followed him. And so did his disciples. And behold, there was a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12 years, and came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. I'll be healed. I'll be literally saved. I'll be delivered from this issue. 
But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when they came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, in other words, right here, basically it's saying the funeral was already underway. This girl was dead. This 12-year-old girl had passed from this life. Verse 24 tells us, he said unto them, give place. In other words, um, it's time for you to leave. That's what he's saying. Um, they paid mourners back then. In addition to other people that were crying at the passing of a dead one, they would pay people to come in. And he said, basically saying, you can check out now. You can clock out. You can leave. Why? For the maid is not dead but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. They derided him. Now, Jesus is not saying that she was just asleep. She was dead. Notice what happens, verse 25. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand and the maid arose. <laughs> And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. Well, I would imagine so, wouldn't you? Wow. Okay, so here's the title this morning. He didn't come to patch things up. He didn't come just to patch things up. Are you following me? This is not a patch job here. He didn't come to just patch things up. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll think about these verses here together. <clears throat> having patches on your knees, just part of being a boy, right? Yes, yep. How I many had patches on your knees? Oh yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> on your jeans or <laughs> on your knees too, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I watched boys this weekend. We had the men and boys camp out would have made every mom nervous, <laughs> but we were fully in control. Not totally aware. <laughs> Men and boys alike like to play rough. I saw boys climbing up a steep embankment and sliding back down. I saw boys scaling walls. I watched boys playing football. I mean, all these things and more call for patches, right? A uh, patch um, worked for a while, but eventually it's time for what? New jeans. Um, we patch things up. Just think about this with me. I know we use that terminology, you know. Sometimes we use that about even reconciling with somebody. You know, I need to patch things up with them. You ever heard that terminology? I need to patch things up with them. And what we're saying there is I need to fix this. I need to restore this. There's been a tear in our relationship and I need to patch things up. So we use that terminology there, but, but I'm using it just like it is right here in our text about how, that you, uh, how Jesus said you don't take a piece of new material and put it on an old because when you wash it, then the, the the new piece of material would shrink and then it would pull the old material and thus it would tear it even worse. It would, it would, it would make it worse is what Jesus is saying there. We'll, we'll get to back to that here in just, in just a moment. But, 
But uh, the reason that we do a patch job or patching something up like that is we need a quick fix. Need a quick fix. So I thought about other areas of life where maybe we do that, uh, where you need maybe a quick fix, you know, after the storm. Isn't it amazing that it's been a year ago that we had the historic ice storm of October of 2020 and, and limbs and trees were falling. And, and so maybe you, had a, you did a quick patch job on the roof, but eventually you knew this, this isn't going to suffice. Maybe this will keep water from coming in, but eventually we're going to need a new roof, right? And you can't just do a patch job when you got about a six inch in diameter hole in your roof, right? You need more than just a patch job right there. Or maybe a fence, maybe you mended some fences or patch it up or, or maybe a, a car window, you've done some patching. I, I've seen, uh, you know, some windows kind of taped up, you know, and, and, or some uh, tail light taped up with red, red, uh, red tape. Come on, there's all kinds of use for tape, right? And in fact, all these jobs and more, whether it's plumbing or engine repair, these are situations in which men are grateful for duct tape, don't you know? A man needs two things in this world, WD-40 to get things moving and duct tape to make things stop working or moving. You know, that's all you need. No, we understand that when you do a patch job or a patch-up job, however you want to term that, you're recognizing more work eventually is ahead. This is just kind of getting us through for a little while. I'm telling you, friend, when it comes to your salvation, Jesus didn't do a quick fix. The cross is not a patch-up job. It's not just something you add on to an old religion. It's not something you add to your works. It is all that you need. And when you trust him as your savior, he doesn't just give you a patch-up life. He gives you brand new life. So how do you get that brand new life? That's what we want to look at here this morning is how do you get that brand new life? And I believe it's evident in the text, but I, I want you to follow along because listen, you, you don't just need a patched up old life. You need new life. And there are situations, no doubt, even in the life of believers here today, because I know I'm not just preaching today to people maybe that don't know Jesus as Savior, but the vast majority of us know Him as Savior. But there are situations that you're facing right now that are well beyond your control, that you don't need just a patch job. You need something new. Yeah. Let's see how how to obtain that or how to access that would perhaps be the best way to, uh, to term that. It's not because it's not something that we do, but we have access to it. In the previous uh, message, as we were consider the first, uh, considering rather the first 13 verses of Matthew 9, by the way, all this happened in the, in the same time frame. I mean, all, this was a busy day in the life of our Savior. He had a bunch of them, busy days. And so it started out with these men that were carrying this man and they couldn't get to where Jesus was in the house. So they began to break the roof open and lowered this man down in, into where Jesus was. And Jesus said to the man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and Pharisees murmured in their minds, not even under their breath. They didn't say anything out loud, but he heard their thoughts. And they thought, who is this man to say that this man's sins are forgiven? Only God, only God can forgive a man of his sins. And that's exactly right. Put two and two together there, friend, and you understand that Jesus is God. And that's his point. 
but that you might know that the Son of Man hath power on earth, not just in heaven. So evidently, he existed before he came down to earth. He existed in heaven, and he had power in heaven to forgive sin. But the one who has power in heaven to forgive sin also has power on earth. If it is God's prerogative to say that a man is forgiven, how can I think it's my prerogative to say that he's not? Jesus said this man is forgiven. He said to prove it, take up your bed and walk. And that man walked away from his past. Because God has a future for everybody that's got a past. You just come to him by faith. I'm saying, I got, I got to hit this right here. Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw the faith of the man that was healed, but he also saw the faith of the people that brought him to Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. Faith is highlighted. Next, Jesus meets a man named Matthew. In fact, he's the one who's wrote this gospel. And he was at the time a despised tax collector. He could not, listen to this, he could not enter into the synagogue. He had disgraced his family. He was in association with Rome. He took advantage of people by, dis, by extortion. He was despised as a traitor. He was despised by his own society, but he was loved by Jesus. Amen. And Jesus said to this man, uh, he said to him, follow me. And Matthew left everything behind and began to follow Jesus. And he was so thankful for what Jesus did in his life that he threw a great big feast. He threw a great big party and had people over to eat. And here's who he invited. He invited, he invited his friends. Well, who would that be? Sinners. Vile, wicked sinners, just like him. Tax collectors, just like him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people said, what kind of man is this? Look at him eating with sinners. Well, yeah, he came not to avoid sinners, but to approach them and offer them new life. But they were upset and, and Jesus said that they that, are, they that are well, they that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick. In the minds of the scribes and Pharisees, they thought they were doing real good and they thought everybody else was sick. And actually they needed salvation just like the rest of them did, but they didn't acknowledge it. He did not come, Jesus did not come to commend their righteousness. He came because they had none. And so here's this big feast that's going on and that brings us up to where we are in our text. And it says, that, it says in, the, in verse 14, then came to him. So here's the idea. This big feast is going on and Jesus is eating this feast. And it's at the time of their feasting that John's disciples come to Jesus and says, I see you're feasting, we're fasting, what's the deal? I don't know, maybe misery loves company, right? Here you are eating and we're not. Why, why is that? In fact, the Pharisees fast. Well, fasting, by the way, is biblical. Fasting means that you go without food because uh, spiritual matters are of greater significance than temporary matters. And there are times when you see throughout the Word of God, Old and New Testament-like, that the people of God said, this is such a dire situation that we need to set aside food in order to give attention to spiritual things. But by the Old Testament law, uh, the Day of Atonement was a day that they were prescribed or instructed to fast. But the religious Pharisees and, the, and Sadducees and leaders there, they fasted Twice a week. Remember in Luke chapter um, 18, as the Pharisees said, I fast twice a week. And this publican, he doesn't fast. It's all outward expression of religion. I fast twice a week. I don't even have to, but I do. About hurt himself, patting himself on the back, right? 
And you're so proud I fast on Mondays and I fast on Thursdays. Thank you very much. Well, the disciples of John came and said, why do, you, why do we fast and you do not? And so now, by the way, the disciples of John and the, and, and the Pharisees didn't fast for the same reason. The Pharisees, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, they fast to be seen of men, that they might appear to be spiritual. Tonight, uh, tonight's message, uh, just a little segue right here. Uh, tonight's, or a little uh, advertisement, I don't know, what any, whatever you call it. Uh, tonight's message is this, big on looks, short on spirituality. Big on looks, that's what the Pharisees were. They were big on looks, they looked spiritual, but they weren't really spiritual. Now, the disciples of John, they fasted because of the spiritual discipline of fasting. They fasted because they understood that as we preach the message of repentance, that that's a serious message and it merits a serious approach to that. They fasted also because they anticipated the coming of the kingdom. They anticipated the coming of the Messiah. Well, Jesus is saying this, when you have a wedding ceremony going on, is that a time of feasting? or a time of fasting. Now, I would say that if it were a time of fasting, that that would save a lot of expenses on a reception. <laughs> I'm starting to talk like a parent now, right? Oh, mercy. No, but, but a wedding is not a time for fasting. Can you imagine? We had this big celebration. The bride comes down the aisle, the groom walks down the steps or jumps down the steps to get to her and, and is excited on their wedding day. And, but now everybody's mourning. Everybody's fasting. No, 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 friend. Listen, it's a time of festivity. It's a time of feasting. Why? Because the bridegroom is here and the bride is here. In other words, what Jesus is saying, this is a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture that the husband has come. Isaiah chapter 62 and, and uh, 54 or so, I may have my numbers mixed up, but in, nonetheless, in the Old Testament, it talks about how that the Lord is, is, the, is the husband of his people. And then in John chapter three, you see how that John said that the, the friend of the bridegroom rejoices because the bridegroom is there. And so John is the best man. Jesus is the bridegroom. Paul said, I've espoused you to one husband, which is Christ. In other words, Jesus is saying this, I'm the fulfillment of the messianic promise of God that, that he would come. In other words, the bridegroom is here. It's not a time for fasting. It is a time for feasting. But then he adds this note. But when the bridegroom is taken away, then it'll be a time for fasting. You know what that is? That's an early indication, Jesus saying, that this festivity is going to be cut short because according to Daniel chapter number nine and verse number 26, that when Messiah comes, that there's coming a time when he'll be cut off. In other words, he's going to die on the cross. Jesus knew that. And he said, then it'll be a time for fasting. But right now, it's a time for feasting. Okay, you say, I'm following you. I'm tracking you as best I can. I'm following along here. But how does that relate to what Jesus said about the patchwork? Well, what's going on here is that all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to his coming. Every priest that ever wore the ephod, the religious clothing of the priest, every high priest, every sacrifice ever offered, 
Every lamb, the blood of which was shed for sin, every goat, every, every calf, everything was pointing towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were outward expressions of what was to come. The Pharisees, in fact, even in Isaiah chapter 58, talked about fasting and how that they, even back then in Isaiah's day, they were boasting of their fasting. But here was the problem. It was all external. They weren't really concerned about being right with God. They were just being religious. And friends, listen today. Religion has never fixed anyone. It's never solved man's greatest problem, and that being a sin problem. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, salvation has always been by grace through faith. Always has been. It's never been a person's good works. But the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders had made it about their good works and saying, I don't treat people like the publicans do. I don't treat people, I don't commit adultery. I don't do this and I don't do that. In fact, I tithe twice a week. I, I'm sorry, I, I fast twice a week and I tithe and I do all these religious things. And Jesus is saying to these Pharisees here of his day and time and even to the disciples of John, listen, I did not come to add one more layer of a religious facade. By the way, he's not, he's not saying that the Old Testament is to be refuted. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying this, the Old Testament has fulfilled its purpose in pointing to me. And now that I have come, there's no more need of that. I'm not just going to add this onto that garment, but rather I'm giving you a brand new garment. Because the old, the old form of all the types and foreshadowing and all the sacrifices, it's not strong enough. It could not contain, it could not handle the new work that he wants to do. And the same thing is pointed out by the, the wineskins that they would put the, the wine in and, and it was, if it was an older bottle, then it would, it would uh, expand you know, with, the, with, with the juice and, and thus it would burst and it couldn't, it couldn't handle it. In other words, he's saying, listen, I, 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 I can't fit in just the types, I'm the fulfillment of it. It'd be like this, the difference between an acorn and an oak tree how are you going <laughs> to put an oak tree back inside a little oak? It won't fit. It won't hold it. Christ Jesus, our Lord, is so much better than all the types and all the priests and all those sacrifices. You can't fit an oak tree in an acorn. Okay, when you're driving to Oklahoma City, you're going to see signs like this. Oklahoma City, 100 miles. Oklahoma City, 50 miles. Oklahoma City, 20 miles. Oklahoma City, 10 miles. And you keep going, you're seeing all these signs, all these signs. But watch this. Once you get in Oklahoma City limits, which are vast, once you get in Oklahoma City, then you stop seeing signs like Oklahoma City 5. Thank you, Brother Cecil. You don't see those signs anymore. Why? You're here. He's saying to these people, you're not going to continue to see these signs and indications that I'm coming. I'm here. Right. 
You don't just need a patch job here. It's not going to hold. You need something brand new. You need something brand new. Can, can you hold that thought just a moment? Can you hold that thought about 10 minutes? <laughs> because it says, while they were saying these things, then comes these individuals. And, and the story seemed to go a total different direction, but, but it's not. He's, he's making it very clear. You need more than just a little help here. You need someone who can bring life out of death. And here, it's amazing to me, okay? Here's, here's a ruler of a synagogue, Jairus by name. Matthew, by the way, I don't know if I've mentioned this yet, but in Matthew's accounts, a lot of times his, his are abbreviated. Believe it or not, it's 28 chapters, but Matthew's accounts are abbreviated, but he includes more of what Jesus did. Whereas Mark elaborates on things and Luke elaborates on things. Luke's a doctor, so he's very detailed, so he gives great details. But Matthew just kind of gives us almost the Cliff Notes version of some of these stories. So when you read the accounts, you may say, well, Mark said this and Luke said this and Matthew says this. Well, Matthew is just getting right to the point. He's not like your typical Baptist preacher. He's getting right to the point. And, and so here's this ruler of the synagogue. I mean, this man was a man of power. This man was a man of, of prestige and a man of money and wealth and, and ability. But they had one daughter. That was all they had, just one daughter, according to Mark's account. They, they had only one daughter, and he was, she was very dear to him. And this man, this ruler of the synagogue, came to Jesus. And in Matthew's account, he comes to Jesus and says, Lord Jesus, my daughter is dead. Now, in Mark and Luke's account, it indicates that she's at the point of death. Matthew just kind of fast forwards everything and says she's dead. In other words, she's, she's deceased and, and people came and announced that to him. So it's very clear. There's not a discrepancy here, by the way, because the word of God never contradicts itself. It's just filling in the details at, at different levels. And so anyways, I just thought I'd mention that in passing. And so here's this ruler of the synagogue, a synagogue being a place of Jewish worship, and here he is coming, not to the priest of his days, but he comes to Jesus. And he comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, or he says to Jesus, he says, my daughter is dead. And then he says, it's very interesting. Come and lay your hands on her and she'll live. Now, here's a man who understood the Old Testament that would have understood this, that if somebody is dead, then except for the priests and other individuals that were designated by God, they weren't permitted to come in and to touch them because when you touch a dead body, then you are defiled. So here you are ceremonially unclean. So here is a ruler of the synagogue saying to Jesus, come and, and touch this dead body. And Jesus was willing to do it. And he went with this man who was in a desperate situation, who had no idea how this was going to work out. And yet he had the faith to believe, I believe you can raise her again. But at one point in Mark's account, Luke's account, they're on their way. Matthew doesn't give us all those details, but as they're on their way, I mean, there's a crowd of people going with him because wouldn't you want to see this too? So there's a crowd of people that are going with him and through the crowd burst this lady, comes this lady. I don't know exactly, but she had, to, she had to be bumping into people to get where she wanted to go. You've done that. Black Friday, right? 
getting up there close just to get, you know, that item or getting through the gate, you know, um, especially when it's packed, like at the airport and you're trying to get on the tram to get, you know, from one part of the airport to the other and, and, and you're closer to people than you're, you like. Well, here's this lady and the Bible tells us that for 12 years, how old was the little girl? 12 years old. For 12 years, as long as this little girl had been alive, this woman had had this issue of blood. She'd been hemorrhaging and, and so had an issue of blood. That, hang on, wait a minute, same thing, made her ceremonially unclean. According to, the, to Leviticus, she was not to be in contact with other people, but here she was. Her situation was so desperate, here's what she thought. If I can just get to him, if I could just get to him, I realize, sorry, <laughs> I'm coming through here. And if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Now on the hem of the garment, according to, to the book of Numbers, they would wear that blue fringe on the bottom indicating that they were clean. Here's an unclean woman coming to a clean person. Here's an unclean person, in fact, a sinner, coming to the one who has never, ever sinned. And she says this, if I can just touch him, I'll be made whole. And she comes in the press and makes her way. And there's faith again. There's faith again. It's showing up one more time. There's faith again. And she says, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. And she touched his garment as he walked by. And then she tried to disappear in the crowd. <sighs> then Jesus stops everything. And ask this question. Now I'm filling in here a little bit from Mark and Luke's account. And he asked this question, who touched me? That'd be like being in the subway in New York City and saying, who just touched me? <laughs> you could probably get beat up doing that or asking that, right? Who just touched me? Oh, really? I'll touch you. You know, I mean, <laughs> be New York anyways. Sorry. <laughs> who touched me? I mean, it's, it's a, in fact, the disciples even were surprised that he asked such a question. He said, Lord, the, the, the multitudes are here all around you. And you asked who's touching you? I mean, all kinds of people are touching you. He says, no, virtue's gone out of me. And, and the woman initially didn't say anything. And finally, when she saw, we're not, we're not moving on here until somebody tells me who touched me. <laughs> you ever been in that situation in class when the teacher says, we're not going any further until somebody confesses. Right? Well, finally this woman came and the Bible says that she fell at his feet. And he says, daughter, thy faith has made you whole. She had spent all kinds of money. The Bible says that she spent everything she had and she was none better. She'd seen so many doctors and still she was no better. I'm telling you, friend, listen, she didn't just need a patch job. This man that came about his daughter, he didn't just need a patch job. He didn't need somebody that could just kind of put a Band-Aid on this. He didn't need somebody that could just do a little something. He didn't, could, could just say a little prayer or something. No, he needed somebody to step in there. She needed somebody that could step in there that could make a difference in her life and in their life. And when they got to Jesus by faith, it is faith that gives us access to what God can do fresh and new in our life. And that's what you need today. And that's what I need today. You don't need a patch job. You don't need to just kind of fix a little bit. No, you need him to work deep in you, to change you, to save you, 
to give you a brand new life, to give you a brand new love for God, to give you a brand new love for his church, to give you a brand new outlook on life, to give you a brand new mission in life. You don't need just another religious leader. You need the Lord Jesus Christ who can raise the dead, who can heal the sick and who will walk with you through your darkest valleys. That's what you need. You might say, well, if I could just get a different job, everything will be all right. You'll get to that other job and you'll have the same problems there as you've had at this other job. You know why? Because you're there. <laughs> Who do you think you are telling me that I'm the source of my problems? That's what God says. You take your greatest enemy with you everywhere you go. That's you. You need him to change you. You say, well, if I could just, if I could just get, get a different spouse or if I get a... No, you'd have the same problems with another one. It saddens my heart. I, I, I've had, I know of some friends that, that have left their family to, to get with another person. You know what happens? That seems so exciting at first. And, and it's like, it's like this, this exciting experience. But eventually, friend, listen, you got to go to work. You got to pay bills. You got to wash dishes. Huh? You got to do the same things. I'm telling you, it may seem exciting for a little while, but eventually you got to settle down to life and it's going to get mundane and old again. Next thing you know, you'll say, man, I'm tired of this one too. I'm going to find me a new one. And you'll just go through that cycle until you realize I don't need just a patch job here. I need him to work in me and change me and give me a new life. Is everybody understanding this here this morning? You don't just need an old patch job here. Somebody says, well, if I just had a new church that was a little bit more lively, a little bit more passionate, or a little bit more this, or a little less this, or a little bit more that, or whatever it is. Hey, wait a minute. Before you go off and try to join something else, then just stop and think about it. Maybe the problem is right there where you are. And if you got anywhere else, you'd have the same problems where you were because really you don't need a patch job. You need God to do a work in your heart. And if you go to him by faith, I believe he'd take care of things. Just a patch job. I met a man on our trip named Gio, short for Giovanni. I believe he's Italian. Just a guess. Totally enjoyed meeting him. I didn't get his full story from him, Brother uh, Farinella and uh, uh, Brother Lamar was kind of filling in some of it, but I, if I understand right, he had tried several things, even went into Judaism, even, you know, claiming the way of the Jews, the Old Testament, dietary laws, uh, feast days, all those things. I, I don't know how far he went into it, but he got into it enough to do this. As he read the Old Testament, he read what the Old Testament said about Christ or Messiah when he comes. And he came to this conclusion, all of what this says about Messiah has been fulfilled in this one that's called Jesus. And I, I believe they told us that he went to their, his rabbi and said, this, is, this matches. Well, they were blind to it, but he saw. And that day when he trusted Christ as his Savior, and I don't remember the exact details of his testimony, but that day when he trusted Jesus as his Savior, he didn't get a patch 
He got a brand new robe, a brand new garment. And he got involved in the church and, and it was, you know, just kind of a non-denominational church. And, and, and he, he began, here's, I'm just telling you the man's testimony. I'm, I'm, I don't have an ulterior motive. I'm just being open with you with what the man said. Here, here's what he said. As I began to study the New Testament, I realized that many of the things that our, this church was doing did not match the New Testament. So he realized, I need a different church. So as he began to study the New Testament, He's, this is what he said to me. Day one when I met him, he said, you know, I didn't realize I was a Baptist until I read the New Testament. Isn't that awesome? He read the Bible and came to that conclusion. In other words, he didn't just get a patch. Now he's in a place of life and liveliness and, and, and true genuineness. It's wonderful. He's excited. He brought people to the services every night that I can remember. <clears throat> he was, it was like, come on, preacher, just keep preaching. Forget that it's 12 till. <laughs> just preach. Why? Faith in Jesus brought him to brand new life. How about you? There may, there may be somewhere, I'm, I'm looking around here today and I don't know everybody. Maybe you've tried a lot of different religions, a lot of different traditions. Can I, can I, can I <clears throat> reduce your search to this? There's no church that will fulfill you. There no, there's no religious system, no religious rites, no religious practice that is going to give you what you need, including this church as it is. Do you understand? Because you don't go to heaven because you're a Baptist. You can only be saved. You can only be forgiven of sin. You can only have new life if you trust the Lord Jesus and what he did on the cross and his resurrection. If you trust him and him alone, that's the only way to be saved. You may say, yeah, but I haven't tried Islam and I haven't tried Buddhism and I hasn't, haven't tried the New Age movement and I haven't tried Scientology and I haven't tried all these other things. Listen, just stop. Because there's no, no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in Him alone and He'll give you new life. Could be today that you're looking, maybe you've been saved many years ago and you're, and you're looking... You're looking for something. Listen, uh, even saved people can get backslidden. And we don't need to try to create some artificial form of life. Just get your eyes back on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll love biblical Christianity. <laughs> New life. Let's stand together here this morning. New life is accessed by faith. I noticed that the people in the crowd, they didn't experience what this woman did because they weren't there by faith. The ones mourning, crying at the home of the ruler of the synagogue, they were escorted out because they weren't there by faith. Faith is the key that unlocks God's blessings of new life in your life. And if today you need to make your way, maybe like that woman did, you have to ask somebody, excuse me, excuse me. 
and you get down here to this altar because you'll find it what you need at Jesus' feet. Amen. Father, today, I thank you for the new life in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new, you said in your word. I pray for some today that need salvation, Lord, that you'd help them. I pray for believers today that need a fresh, new revival in their life. I know we can find both at your feet, dear God. In Jesus' name.